this is Sean Harwell. This is a Never Heard of It podcast. This is a show where we talk about the movies that have fallen through our cracks. And I am joined again today, thankfully, so that I do not have to do this alone while Craig is sleeping for an entire month. <laughs> Brian Crane, thank you once again. How are you, sir? I'm doing all right. Thanks again for having me for our fifth film of this whole uh, experiment. Uh, You're going to cut all that out, aren't you? I'm, I'm just trying to do the math in my head. I think this is the f- number four, isn't it? Four of this sequence, but I'm thinking way back to Comfort of Strangers okay, because I'm a com- I'm a completionist. Well, you were also in the episode for Bound, so technically six. Oh, six. Okay, fair enough. Six it is. Uh, you know, I failed last week to mention that you are the sometimes co-host of another podcast called A Little Snack. If you're one of the people... Like some young'uns I met recently who were just diving into Game of Thrones. Lots mm. of great discussion on that show in particular in some of those back episodes. So maybe they should go check that out. Yeah, do a search in the dark web and you'll find a little <laughs> snack available on d- desktop apps anywhere you, you find. Yeah, it's, it's sadly, it's, it's harder to find than I would like. But absolutely, I would enjoy revisiting not only the show, but also our podcast about the show because we did get... We did some pretty deep dives into those uh, those first three season episodes. Yeah, it was good stuff. It was really good conversation. Well, yeah, thank you. Let me point people to neverheardpodcast.com. Go check out all the links and see some posters. A lot of the posters are from foreign markets, which will be interesting this time since the movies are from China. Lots of good fun stuff there, trailers as well. You can send us an email. It's always nice to get suggestions. We'll be getting back into those. And reviews are certainly appreciated at apple podcast thank you brian yes we made it through animal world the 2018 chinese film which is on netflix we're going back to the well with a similar at least sounding movie (laughs) as in language (laughs) spoken i think right yes i believe so yeah this one is from 2016 it is called i am not madame bovary and i like saying that emphatically it's an interesting title let me give you a log line and then you're going to tell us who made it after being swindled by her ex-husband a woman takes on the chinese legal system on its surface maybe that doesn't sound that interesting for those of us who have no knowledge whatsoever of the chinese (laughs) legal system but i think there's some specific things about this movie that i'm going to talk about a little bit that at least piqued my interest when i saw the trailer so why don't you walk us through some of the fine folks that were involved in this thing let's do that some interesting things kind of came up while i was doing the research for this one and actually you're reading that log line actually ties in with that so that's somewhat interesting So the director of this was uh, Zhai Gang Feng, and he directed a couple of movies that are going to show up quite often in this cast and crew. The first is Cell Phone, which came out in 2003. Mm-hmm. He also directed its sequel, Cell Phone 2, Ooh. in 2019. Cell Harder? Is that the... Yeah, Cell Harder is the, <laughs> is the, uh, the secondary title. And also back to 1942 from 2012. Hmm. He's also credited as an actor in, for 16 movies, including... Wow this very one i am not madame bovary where he plays the narrator interesting the writer is a zenyu lin he was the writer of cell phone one and two and back to 1942 this is a constant collaboration okay the producer was a lady named daijun zhang she looks like she's 22 (laughs) probably is she's the producer of 27 films wow so she did not make it into the cell phone movies, I'm sure, to her eternal regret. But she did help with Back to 1942. Okay. 
a smattering of titles from her filmography, The Wonderful Wedding in 2015, mm-hmm. Lost and Love 2015, The Ark of Mr. Chow in 2015, and New York, New York in 2016. Really? I'd be interested in that one. Yeah. It's like, oh, did they come and film some scenes there? Or did they, you know, make a, a city double as New York? Anyway. God, I hope so. I know. That would be amazing to watch. Cinematography was done by Pan Luo. He shot Cell Phone 2, but not one. Huh. Did Old Fish in 2008. <laughs> old Fish? <laughs> old Fish. Just just watching an old grump fish as it slowly <laughs> dies in an aquarium, I think. You put a camera on that, that's that's scintillating just cinema. Floats to the top, yep. And then another film called Einstein and Einstein in 2013. Einstein and Einstein? Einstein and Einstein, both of which I think was meant facetiously. That's just the vibe I get. How awesome would it be if that was just their version yeah. of Dumb and Dumber? <laughs> That would have been a good title for that movie, too. Anyway. That would have been. Moving over to the cast of this movie, a man named Cheng Peng Dong plays Wang Gong Dao. He was in a movie called Jian Bing Man with Jean-Claude Van Damme in 2015. Ooh, okay, fine. And the poster for that looks pretty funny, actually. I, I would actually check that one out. He did a, a movie with a funny title called Coward Hero this year, this very year. Huh. The Faces of My Gene, not like G-E-N-E. I, uh, that's 2018. Wait, you're saying it is spelled G-E-N-E? Yeah, like like my genes, my DNA. Right. Yeah, the faces of my genes. A, sing, a single gene. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was confused about. I was like, one gene? <laughs> So the next person I'm going to talk about is a young woman named Bing Bing Fan. She has 56 credits as an actress, and she is a very big deal in China. She has a number of U.S. films, for instance, uh, X-Men Days of Future Past. No kidding. Okay. Yeah, she played a mutant named Blink. She was in Iron Man 3. She played Wu Jiaqi, and she was actually also in Faces of My Gene with (laughs) Cheng Peng Dong. Okay, so they, they did that one together. She's actually going to be and it's in pre-production now in a movie called 355 with Jessica Chastain and a, a bunch of other kind of high B list, low A list uh, American actresses. Wow. She has that kind of cross yeah. that international appeal. And what was interesting is while I was researching this, I found out that she actually was the subject of an NPR story that I had heard uh, some months back of a Chinese actress who went missing. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right? So that's her. Oh, that's no. her. That's Bing Bing Fan. Look at us. We're so topical, dude. I had no... Right? We're basically <laughs> journalists here. Accidental journalists, yes. <laughs> um, so she, what had happened was, I guess the Chinese government had decided that tax evasion had become something of a problem, and they needed to make an example of someone. And this is just my you know, shorthand uh, understanding of, okay. of, the, of the situation. And so they grabbed her up without you know, telling anybody, essentially kidnapped her, took her to some remote area where they, as the article I read put it, questioned her for a fairly significant period of time. And when she came back, she made an apology and she paid the Chinese government $100 million in back taxes. Oh my God. Yeah. That's like bigger than Wesley Snipes money, right? <laughs> that's that's huge, huge money. And and it's just, you know, the, the disconnect between this poor young actress's face and her treatment by the Chinese government, it's a little chilling, honestly. Yeah. But they grabbed her up and, and she, she made a very contrite apology. And, and in the news right now, there's wonder if she's, she's breaking up with her boyfriend, like the engagement is off or something like that. And other, other sites are wondering if she's pregnant. So she's kind of like Chinese tabloid fodder. But it's interesting that that then crosses over with the hand of the state, you know? Yes. Yes, exactly. Fascinating. And, and that's, that, that's why I'm interested to read, to, to see this movie, because it's like, if it's, if it's like something against the Chinese legal system or whatever. Yeah, I do believe it is. 
is. I wonder if she's sort of seen as kind of, you know, a subtle dissident in a way. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe maybe some of the films that she was in. Uh, one other interesting story. She's a very interesting person, Bing Bing fan. She was in a movie, a World War II movie with Bruce Willis and Adrian Brody, which was slated to come out, I think, last year. Wait a second. Okay, what is that called? I feel like I just saw like the DVD art for that a week oh, ago. Oh, it's something like Air Raid or something like yeah, that. Some kind okay. of really generic title. But the Chinese government killed it because the producer is on the run. He's wanted for money laundering. And the movie itself was part of that crime, apparently. Huh. So there's a movie with Bruce Willis and Adrian Brody and Bing Bing Fan in the can somewhere that has not, I, I believe, seen the light of day and may never. So yeah, so there's some some interesting uh, tidbits uh, in the background of Bing Bing Fan. Wow. So she was also in Cell Phone 2, and she did back to 1942 as well. And this one was for you, Sean. She, oh no, that um, I'm get, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. It's, I'm talking about the next guy. Okay. So, but she was in Cell Phone 2. That's gotcha. that is accurate. Okay. So we'll move on to Y Fan, who played Guo Nong in this movie. I don't know who that'll be. That'll be a fun thing to find out. He was in Cell Phone 2, City of Rock. Back to 1942, and and this is the one I was talking about. This one's for you. He was in a movie called Guns and Roses in 2012. What? He played Axel. No, he played somebody <laughs> called Priest. So, huh? A little connection to Franklin there, huh? Yes, exactly. P R E E S T. That's how he spelled. Well, it. No, I wonder kidding. at what point uh, they will be sued by the Guns and Roses camp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder. Maybe only after Guns and Roses listens to this podcast. Yeah, I'll get it to him. Another actor is a uh, Tao Guo. He played Zhao. Datu, another long scroll bar. He's got 46 uh, acting credits. He was also in Guns N' Roses, played the crazy dad. Okay. He was in a movie called When Larry Meets Mary in 2016. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, Breakup Buddies in 2014. And finally, my last one, my last actor on the list is uh, Zonghan Lee, played Queen Yuhu, or sorry, Yuhi, was in Sleepwalker in 2011. And the Legend of the Condor Heroes in 2017, which was a TV show. So, uh, so that's your cast and crew, man. Yeah, <laughs> it's fascinating to hear these. T- I mean, because they they're very much like Hollywood titles, you know. It's right, it's like, but it's like some bizarro world. Exactly, yeah. and that was so interesting. Like, like looking through these, it's like these are movies that have have touched so many millions of people. Oh yeah, and I've never heard of a single one of them. Nope. It's just you know, it just gives you that whole sense. It's like you know, there's that universality of like everyone wanting to watch movies and connect that way. But also that very, you know, we're all in our own silos where we know our movies with a few crossovers and they know their movies with perhaps more crossovers. Oh, much more. Yeah. But still, it's just like, you know, it's just interesting. It's like discovering, like you say, a bizarro world that's just full of probably a lot of great movies that, you know, we've never even seen. Yeah. And like something like Breakup Buddies, you got to (laughs) imagine is like a romantic comedy of some sort, right? Oh, yeah, completely. And for whatever reason, it's just like, that's not what I think of when I think of Chinese films, you know? It's, uh, yes, you're always going to, like, Crouching Tiger or something instead. Yeah, so, exactly. So, yeah, it's good to just be exposed to those titles of nothing else. Yeah, totally. Thank you. Once again. You're welcome. Pronunciations, outstanding. I think you're off the hook. We don't have to necessarily give all the names when we do the deep dive. So <laughs> Okay. We'll good, see. Good, good, good. Okay. I wanted to dive in a little bit more on the director because I found some interesting stuff to just give like cultural context to what we're getting into. Again, specifically because I, I like anything on the actual production of this specific movie, it was few and far between. 
Oh, sure. So a lot of this is coming from a great article at a site called Cinemascope, and there's a hyphen in there between cinemascope.com, and the writer was Shelley Kraser. The Beijing-born Zhao Gangfeng, 16 features basically establish him as China's premier homegrown comedy blockbuster craftsman. And that struck oh. me as interesting because like, this movie does not look like a comedy blockbuster <laughs> by any means. No. Right? You know, they talk about him as having a brand that is known as the Holiday Hsupian, or New Year's <laughs> film, which is a genre he practically invented in mainland China in 1998 with Be There or Be Square which was a star-packed, family-friendly comedy that, released around a Chinese Lunar New Year, made a huge box office success and was an aspiration for the Chinese cinema industry. She said he usually does not make fluff. His comedies are social comedies with Beijing cultural characteristics, something akin to comedies of manners, but much less polite, with a dark, satiric, stiletto-sharp edge. This was kind of interesting to me, too. Feng's northern, i.e., Beijing-centric sensibility has always been what makes his films appealing to filmgoers in the capital and somewhat less popular in the softer edge, more discreetly mannered south of China. For Mandarin speakers, Fang and his writers create dialogue that reflects and sometimes enriches a kind of cantankerously sarcastic, knowingly jaded Beijing vernacular humor. It's an attitude cultivated by the millions of people who live in or near the capital, Power is nearby, an ever-present reality looming over their lives. Beijingers characteristically acknowledge this with a knowing, bleak, nihilistic vein of humor that acknowledges that while society is not all it should be, there's not much they can do about it. Which mm. <laughs> is kind of oppressing, yeah. but interesting. <laughs> and it, it, but it's, it's, I don't know, I like appreciate that they turn to humor for that, like that there's that sort of like bite to the sarcasm of it. Oh, yeah, completely. And also, like, what gets past the censors in a way, you know, what, what, yeah. you know, because it's not as bad as it used to be, of course, but, you know, the, the Chinese government does still apply its own sensibilities to, to, to films and what it allows to be released. So that's interesting. I also wanted to mention it mainly because us and others watching this, it could be something that goes completely over our head. We might miss that <laughs> right. entirely right. because we'll be reading it, right? So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And it's good to, for us to just at least have that in mind. Definitely. Continuing from the same article, they talk about the fact that from imperial times, Beijingers have been developing this unique mode of speech that is oddly balanced between respect, fear, contempt, and world weariness. That is the tone that his films have captured and developed and propagated back into Beijing verbal culture, where the lines of his dialogue are adopted and circulated into local conversation. And uh, although that was kind of interesting, so I don't, you know, I was like trying to think of a comparison, like as far as comedies. Yeah, I mean, it seems like there are not that many blockbuster comedies that, that kind of pierce the mainstream these days, but. No, I was like, you go back to the Austin Powers or the Jim Carrey's of the 90s, as far right. as like which comedy, you know, maybe Borat, like a few like Sasha Baron Cohen, like lines from that oh. movie sort of like made it into oh, yeah, the sure. common like, vernacular. But uh, as far my as. My wife. Yeah, yeah, dialogue-specific yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's been kind of a dry spell lately. Yeah. But interestingly, um, this article did mention that he's lately been drifting away a little bit from comedy and experimenting with more straightforward cinema modes, was the way that they mm. phrased it in that article. Empire Magazine yeah. went very specific with their comparison of director and actress Fan Bingbing, calling them the Chinese equivalent of Spielberg and Jennifer Lawrence. 
Oh, interesting. They said that this movie in particular was if those two people got together to make a sort of an awards movie that would be like a uh, Christmas Day release kind of thing, right? So, sure. Let me ask you this. Yeah. I know you got a lot of books on your shelf. Have you read Madame Bovary? No, never have. I haven't. I haven't read the good ones. I've just read the trash. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> Neither have I. And so here we go. Madame Bovary, eighteen fifty-six debut novel by Gustave Flaubert. It is about a woman who quote lives beyond her means in order to escape the banalities and emptiness of provincial life. So we'll see that reflected. Interesting. Sheila O'Malley at RogerEbert.com said that the film is not a retelling of Gustave Flaubert's vicious send-up of the French bourgeoisie, but the film is based on a 17th century Chinese morality tale about an unfaithful wife named Pan Jin Lian, sure I butchered that, Mm -hmm. who conspires with her lover to kill her husband. And ever since that day, bad, quote, women are referred to as Pan Jinlian in China, and it is a scarlet letter of sorts, she says. So the title of this film was apparently chosen because Madame Bovary has similar connotations in the West. Ah, interesting. So there's the connection for that. I don't know if you saw the trailer for this one. I did not. Kept myself fresh. Okay. Well, I'm going to spoil some of that. (laughs) Okay. It caught my eye because I thought it was a really cool trailer, but it had this very interesting circular framing to it. I assumed that was just for the trailer, right? It is not. This is a visual device that was used. Again, this is from O'Malley at RogerEber.com. It's a quote, the rural sections of this film are seen through a circular shape, cutting off the periphery of the screen giving the impression that we are observing the action through a telescope or a rifle sight. The intention Mm -hmm. is to create the effect of an old Chinese painting, the one seen in the opening of the film underneath the voiceover. So look for those paintings as the influence for that choice. And apparently the whole movie does not stay in that particular framing. So I won't say anything else about that, but I think we'll be able to pick up on why that is. Okay. Very interesting. It premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival September 6, 2016. Obviously, that's a pretty damn big deal. Yeah. It won Best Film and Best Actress at the San Sebastian Film Festival in Spain a few days later, and then opened in China, and it did get a screen release in the United States on November 18, 2016. It also played the Palm Springs Film Festival. Again, could not find a tagline for this movie. Sad to say. Wow. We're going to have to do it again ourselves. I know. Yep. The That's challenge fun. will continue. <laughs> Box office. So, yeah, it looks like it played about a maximum number of 38 screens in the United States, which is somewhat interesting knowing that it ended up at Netflix because I, I think like with Animal World, they Netflix bought the rights to distribute it, but I'm not so sure about this movie, oh, which good. is maybe why it got a theatrical release. Made over $400,000 in the United States. So, you know, that that's that's money. Yeah. That's plenty. Again, worldwide, though, it made over $70 million U.S. Okay, Crane, let's time travel three years backwards. November 18th, that weekend. Do you want to guess what was number one at the box office? Uh, I guess that would have been uh, eight days after the election. Was there a movie called uh, Heartbreak? No, I, I, I was realizing that I was finally looking ahead. Like, we're going to ask about the Oscars. Think back, and I did, and I was like, no, I couldn't think of anything. It's tough, yeah. I, I just want to say Green Book again, but I know that's not... <laughs> yeah, it's... 
<laughs> it did not come out in two different years, thankfully. No, it didn't. Yeah. It didn't. No, I, I, what is it? It was Fantastic Beast and Where to Find Them. Ah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Number one movie yeah. that weekend, followed by Doctor Strange, Trolls, and Arrival. I am not Madame Bovary finished number 27. So oh, okay. top 30, not terrible. Yeah. Uh, the top yeah. 10 that year, number one was Rogue One, a Star Wars story. In this uh, all again, U.S. Okay. Finding Dory, yeah. number two, Captain America, Civil War, Secret Life of Pets, Jungle Book, Deadpool, Zootopia, Batman versus Superman, Suicide Squad, Sing, and Moana. Round out your top 11. Quick math, Disney can claim seven of those 11 as their own Holy if you hell. count the fact that they own Fox and Deadpool. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Media consolidation is a scary thing. Other movies from that year, Hidden Figures, La La Land, Ghostbusters, whatever they added to the subtitle after it came out on video. <laughs> Boo, a Medea Halloween, had to mention that. Hacksaw Ridge, yes. Fences, Manchester by the Sea, War Dogs, Money Monster, Allied, Hail Caesar. Moonlight, Hell or High Water, and The Witch. And also, again, oh, man, looking through that top 100, a lot of movies I got zero interest in watching. (laughs) Anyway, Oscars, yes. Do you remember 2016 was the perhaps strangest best picture win of all time? Just yours going going through the the list, I was like, okay, yep, that one. So it was initially given to La La Land and then... There was a mix-up, and it turned out actually Moonlight had won, and so Moonlight, the filmmakers were called up to win Best Picture, Moonlight. Jordan Horowitz will remain a trivia question answer as the man who pulled out the right card there. Yes. Moonlight won Best Picture, Casey Affleck won Best Actor, Emma Stone, Actress, Mahershala Ali, supporting Viola Davis, supporting Actress, Zootopia Best Animated, Damien Chazelle became the youngest person ever to win Best Director, and The Salesman one best foreign film. Ah. The official submission from China to the Oscars that year was a movie called Wolf Warrior 2. Wolf Warrior 2. Yes. Anything to do with Wolf Totem that we mentioned? I don't the last think one? so. No, I think this okay. was definitely... Something totally different. I saw it compared to basically the Chinese version of Rambo and uh, <laughs> not in a flattering light as far as something that should be trying for Oscars. It was in that article. Uh, anyway, pretty good reception across the board. Thefilmstage.com, which is a site I like, the reviewer there said, I am not Madame Bovary's a healthy return to form for veteran director Zhao Gangfeng that while not exactly hitting the ball out of the park, delivers a genuinely funny, slyly observant diagnosis of contemporary China complete with lush, absurdist flair. Dennis Harvey at Variety said, quote, the sly comic parable eccentrically tricked out in reductive screen formats is the tale of an ant becoming an elephant, one that fittingly strings a long series of small anecdotal sequences into a near-epic narrative arc. Wow. The aforementioned O'Malley at RogerEbert.com said, There's not an uninteresting or boring shot in the movie. It is a pleasure to look at the screen and to watch the artistry of the entire creative team. But there's a forbidding quality to the entire enterprise. That circular frame is way too small to squeeze through. Interesting. And that's all I got. I feel like we've learned a lot about Chinese film in these two tee-ups, Crane. 
I know. I just I kind of want to sit down and watch like a, a film festival of nothing but Chinese films right now. That's that's just having. I want to see some of these movies that I I just all I know of is the titles. I want to see all these things. Again, I am not Madame Bovary. Streaming on Netflix right now. Go check it out, and we'll be back next time. Any last words, Brian? Just want to let everyone know that I am not bad at Bovary either. Oh, really? I think there was some confusion about that when we started. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited to, to, to see this film and other people who are also not Madame Bovary. Okay. Well, if you yeah. go missing for three weeks, <laughs> sorry, buddy. If I get bing binged, yeah, I, I'll, I'll be out. I'll be looking for that, looking for the Chinese authorities to make sure they don't bing bing me. Fingers crossed, man. They might be listening right now. <laughs> they might be. Okay. All right, y'all. Come back next time. We'll talk to you. Bye. Bye. Bye.